And so this morning, I want to take you through a little bit of the Garden of Gethsemane story and hope that we can have a, a new understanding of what that means for us this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I, I want to invite you to open to the book of Matthew chapter 26. We don't have anything on the screen this morning, so I'm going to ask you to follow along as closely as possible. Matthew chapter 26. Has it ever happened to you? And talking about these stories, um, there's sometimes when I'm working on a sermon, or I used to, not so much anymore, uh, but there used to be times that when I would be working on a sermon, I had all these thoughts about a particular story that I was going to address. And so what, ended, what started happening is that I would start creating this sermon in my mind, right? Like, I'm going to say this and this and this, and then on this part of the story, I'm going to focus on this one thing. And then I get to the scripture, and that part of the story isn't there. Has it ever happened to you? Like, you're told stories a certain way, and you're just like, oh, yeah, oh, man. That. And there's like the one detail that makes the story more meaningful actually isn't there sometimes. And I think what happens is, my idea in my heart is that all of you read the Bible every single day for an hour a day, right? That's my ideal in my mind. The reality is I know that that's probably not true because if we know the story, we already know it. Why do we have to read it again? Do any of you read a book over and over again other than the Bible? I don't. I read it once and I'm done. I'll hardly ever watch a movie twice because I already saw it once. And I think sometimes that's what happens when it comes to the scripture. We know the story. We know what to say about it. And so we move on. This morning, God is calling us to look at a story again. So I'm going to read to you a couple of Bible verses now, and then we're going to go from there. Verse 37 says this, And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled and then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Whenever we come to the story of Jesus... We oftentimes think of Jesus as Jesus triumphant, Jesus as the one who rescues people, Jesus as the one who creates miracles in each one of our lives, Jesus, the strongest man in the world, to, to Austin, his teacher posed the question like this. Okay, Austin's our 13-year-old. He says, the teacher says, no, he says, God is powerful to do anything. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And so me being the person that I am, I'm kind of a contrarian, I told Austin, tomorrow go to your religion teacher and ask him this, if God is all-powerful, can God make a rock he can't lift? Think about it. Can he? Yes and no, because he can lift the rock. But do you begin to see how we just talk about God in ways and they're just irrelevant? And I did that kind of just because I was, you know, being not a nice guy. Um, and I thought it would be, you know, smooth. Didn't turn out very well. But when we think of God and when we think of Jesus, we think of them as all-powerful, all-knowing, the very best of any kind of being that ever could be. And yet the story, the central story of our faith, of the Christian faith, is that a man lays down his life 
We don't like being in uncomfortable places. We hate when bad things happen to us. We hate when things are difficult, yes? Amen? I hate when times are difficult. And yet the central story of your faith and mine, the central story of Christianity is that a man not only experienced horrible pain, but he ultimately gave up his life for you and for me. And so the picture of God changes drastically when we come to the Garden of Gethsemane. How many of you have ever felt just so depressed and so down that you don't even want to get out of bed? How many of you have experienced something so extremely hard and difficult that there is, you feel like there is no point in even going forward? We call that a sort of death. But the central story of our faith is that though there was death, there's also resurrection. That though there is an end, it always breeds life to a new beginning. The story of our faith is that our God is powerful and he gives life even to those who are dead. And so we look at the scriptures where it says, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled to death. And he says, remain here and pray with me. When we go through difficult times, we need our friends there, don't we? When things are rough, when things are bad, we turn to the people that are closest to us. And Jesus did that very thing. And the guys that Jesus turned to fell asleep. They had no idea what was coming Even though Jesus had told them this is what's going to happen, they had no idea. And so when they were supposed to be there for moral support, these friends of Jesus, these disciples, they let him down. And I have to ask the questions about Jesus when he's here. Because he says, my father, if it it is, my father, um, if it is possible for this cup, which is what God has given him to do, the cup is a metaphor for his burden, his calling If this can pass from me, let it be, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, we have to ask the question, what was Jesus talking about? Jesus was fully human, but he was also fully God. We can't comprehend that. Don't even try it. It's too hard. It's too hard. But I have to believe that this night, on this Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was faced with one of the most difficult things, and here's why I think this is true. Here is the best that I can give you on why I believe that Jesus had some serious conflict within him as to going through with this. I believe that the human part of himself on the night of the Garden of Gethsemane was difficult for him because he knew that this road that he was leading down ended in death. That for Jesus, that was as far as he saw. Now, this may sound heretical and sacrilegious, but you have to understand, it's in the scriptures. Jesus was having a hard time. Jesus is calling on his life. He was struggling with it because he knew that every road that he took was going to lead him to death. And that was difficult. Now, I know that people say, That the reason he had this trouble, this sorrow in his heart, was because he was disconnected from God. I don't know that that's true because it doesn't say it right here. What I know is that Jesus was struggling and he was sorrowful to the point of death. If Jesus 
knew that he would die and be resurrected. And these are, I'm asking questions, okay, because I want you to get to really understand the sacrifice that Jesus makes for you. If Jesus knew that he would die and then be resurrected on the third day, and I know he alludes to it, okay, I know he says things like that, but if he was 100% sure that he would be resurrected on Sunday morning, I think it would have been a lot easier for him. I think that if Jesus knew that that was going to happen, he didn't have to go and be sorrowful in the Garden of Gethsemane because he would just walk up to them and say, okay, do what you came to do, and then he's resurrected and then everything goes on. But what's interesting, afterwards, the Bible writers would say that the glory of God is that he resurrected Jesus. The glory of God, and God is glorified because he resurrects Jesus. And here's why it's important. You see, we always think of Jesus as the person who came to do this mechanical thing for us, to to die, save us of our sins. He's resurrected, and everything goes back to normal. I have to believe that Jesus may have been open to the fact that maybe he would not rise again. The resurrection has nothing to do with your salvation. The resurrection is Jesus being vindicated. Because in the Old Testament, the way that we have forgiveness is that something dies and they were never resurrected. Animals were sacrificed as a way of atoning and forgiving all of us. There was never, and then the animal, God gave him life again. So when we think of the man Jesus, I think there has to be at least a little bit of him knowing, I lay my life down with no pretense for anything else. If sin leads to death, then for Jesus, he says, I will gladly lay down my life for you. And that was it. But God, in all his goodness and in his power, he breathes new life into Jesus. Because it would be completely unfair that Jesus, never having sinned and never having done anything bad, it makes no sense that he would have to die. And God says that's right. That is why he gives him his life back, because he did what nobody could do, and God honored that. But in the garden, Jesus felt sorrow up unto death. It was hard. You know, the next time that God calls you to do something that's difficult, think about what Jesus did for you. In the book, I believe it's The Desire of Ages, there's a description of how things happened And in it, Jesus is falling prostrate on his face. In essence, pouring his heart out to God. I don't believe that God was separated from Jesus at that point. I can't believe that for a moment because I don't think Jesus would have had the power to do it. When God calls you to do something, God walks with you all the way until it is completed. At the moment that Jesus needed God the most, I have no doubt in my heart that God was somehow present there. There is a scene that is described that the angels were there helping him along. There's a description that the angels of God were there to help Jesus to be able to do this because it was the most difficult thing that anyone has ever had to do. In verse 41, Jesus says, The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Amen? We want to do what is right. 
We want to be faithful before Jesus. We want to be right and faithful and just before God. My spirit, it's willing. I want to do what is good, but my body is weak to accomplish it. It's when Paul says, I, do, I don't do what I want to do, but I do. Wait, I don't do what I want to do, and I do what I don't want to do. Does that describe your life? In the Garden of Gethsemane, it was, it was characterized by darkness, by emptiness, by solitude. If you look really quickly, I think that God works his most amazing miracles out of the darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now listen to verse 2. The earth was without form and void, and what covered the face of the deep? Darkness. But the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Even in the darkness, God is there. In the most difficult of all of your life, God is there. He may not be the one leading you to go through this, but he is the one that will help to pull you out of it. And so if you could have your Bibles open, let's go continue to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. If you're here and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor Dave, you're depressing me. <laughs> Tell me a joke or a funny story. I have none today. Because today we are re-examining the one thing that we owe our entire life to. Matthew 27 Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him, Jesus, and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. The picture of a victorious, triumphant Jesus is not this one. Now, how many of you have ever felt persecuted, judged, betrayed, judged because you are a Christian? We've all been there. And our initial, our initial reaction is to act in, re, in, re, in vengeance against them. Our initial reaction is to say, no, I'm not this person, or no, this, or I'm right in feeling this, or in, or in having to have done it this way. Our initial human reaction when we are mocked, when we are hurt, when we are betrayed, when we are treated like this, our initial reaction when we have been wronged is it's handed to us this wrong and we want to give it back to that person twice as hard so they know not to do that to us. That we call revenge. And the king of the universe, when this is happening to him, what does Jesus do? He sits there in silence because he doesn't have to have the last word. Because he doesn't have to be right to these soldiers. There was a prophecy that said that this is what was going to happen anyway. 
And so Jesus, instead of just zapping them like he could have, or even just blinding them so he could walk away from them, you know, Jesus could have died on his own terms. You know that, right? The king of the universe could have done whatever he wanted to, but instead he does it this way to show that even in the face of the utmost hurt, depression, sorrow, maybe he wasn't depressed, but sorrow of people mocking you and saying bad things about you and lies about you, that you don't have to respond to that as long as you are doing what God is calling you to do. We spend too much time trying to fight battles when Jesus says, don't worry, because your life, it will shine like stars in the darkness and you won't have to say a word. If you walk in integrity, God honors that always. If you are honest, God honors that. We don't have to fight back. We don't have to be right. We just need to give witness to who Jesus is in all that we do. And so we go to verse 32. No, verse 33. And when they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, But when Jesus tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they crucified Jesus, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. They drew straws. And whoever got the smallest straw or the biggest straw got their first choice as to what they would take of Jesus' belongings. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King Of the Jews. And there was two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that cross. He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross. And we will believe in him. How many of you have ever prayed a prayer to Jesus that says, if you do this for me, then I will do this for you. If only you help me through this, then I will give and dedicate my entire life to you. But that's not how prayer works. This is what these people were saying. Jesus, if you will only do this, if you answer my prayer this way, then I will give my life to you. If you do this, then I will really believe that you exist and that you're there and that you love me. And so even till the bitter end of Jesus' life, people were just wanting something from him. They mocked him. They derided him. They put, you know, they kind of put put their head up at him and said, you were the king of the Jews. What are you going to do for me now? And Jesus silently sits there because his love for you and for me would lead him to lay down his life for you. It's a dark story. If any of you have ever seen The Passion of the Christ, have any of you said it came out like seven years ago? I don't remember how long, four years ago? Seven? I don't know. It was rough. I know it was just a movie, Okay. I know that cinematography now can do all sorts of things and make them look real. 
And I think the guy that played Jesus, I don't really remember too much, but I do know that when they were whipping him, he had like some special kind of, special kind of, I don't know, clay on his back of some sort. I don't know what it was. But there was a couple times that he actually took the whip to his real back, like on accident. And he was just like, I, I could hardly handle being hit once. I cannot even imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to have taken all of this. So today after church, we're going to, no, <laughs> we're going to whip you to no, no. This morning, I just want you to really try to understand that what Jesus does for you was probably the most difficult thing anyone has ever had to do. And this morning as we were talking in our young adult class, we were talking and I said, I, I would pray that we take the primary posture instead of judging somebody right away or pointing out something that's wrong or criticizing somebody before we do that. May we take a posture of grace. Jesus died for us to give us grace, to give us salvation. God sees Jesus in each one of you. God sees only the very best in all of us. And so what I told the young adults today is may we always begin every conversation and every new person we meet, may we always face them with the posture of grace, of love, of peace, of redemption, and that may we see Jesus in every single person. If we can do that with each other, this church would be even more amazing than it already is. If we could approach people with grace, with love, with understanding, we would be preaching the grace of Jesus. That's the gospel. That's evangelism. That you don't hold anything against anyone, but you love them unconditionally. But even I don't love Kim unconditionally. I don't mean that in a bad way. But there are some things that she could do to me that would make me stop loving her. Okay? You guys understand that, right? But we do those things to Jesus, and he still loves us. And he's not trying to keep people out of heaven, but Jesus is trying to get as many people into eternity as possible. And it's why he lays down his life for us. In the darkness, Jesus always works miracles. When you're going through a difficult time in your life, when you feel completely disconnected from God, when you feel perhaps like there is no more hope, remember the story of Gethsemane where Jesus, in essence, felt disconnected himself, maybe, where he felt like he couldn't do what he had to do, and yet he did it anyway. Each one of you has been given a cup. The metaphor for the cup is that God has set a path before each one of you. And he's calling you to walk down this path because he needs you to be his body in this world. As a church, he has given us a cup to give witness to the mighty works and to his grace and to his salvation. We are the body. He has given us the cup to teach people about Jesus, which is why next Sabbath we are putting together our worship gathering so that we can invite people who may not have heard the message or who may have heard it but don't want anything to do with it or who have misunderstood it. We are trying to teach people about who Jesus is. You guys already know because you're here. <laughs> I hope you guys know. 
But the truth is that this is the Sabbath where you can bring your friends so that we can at least introduce them to this man, Jesus, who gave everything for them. There's another text where Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, you must pick up your cross and walk after me. Sometimes, <laughs> okay, I do have a funny story. I have a friend um, whose wife is, oh, he's not my friend. I know a guy whose wife is not, no, for real, whose, whose wife is, um, can be difficult at times and makes his life difficult, and we all see it. And I have another friend who says his wife is his cross to bear. Have you guys ever heard that? That's biblically wrong, by the way. The symbol of the cross for Jesus is what? What did the cross lead Jesus to? Death. But the only way that Jesus could ultimately give up his life is that Jesus every single day surrendered his life. He surrendered his right to marry. He surrendered his life to have a girlfriend. He surrendered his life to try to be more than a carpenter. He surrendered his life from wanting to travel all over the world at the time. He surrendered everything that we have a right to. Every single day he had to make the decision that he would live his life emptying it of all of his selfish desires to do something that no one else could. So by the time Jesus gets to the cross, it had been 33 years of continually surrendering his life for you. How many of you surrender your life for your family? The other day, my most sacred task every morning is to make breakfast for the kids. So last week, I think I had an 8 o'clock or 8.30 meeting here. No, it was, a, yeah, it was like a 9 o'clock meeting here at the church with someone. And that meant that I had to leave before 8 o'clock in the morning because if you drive from Riverside to Orange County, there's a ton of traffic at that time. And so on this particular morning, I didn't plan on making breakfast. I should have said something. But I was too busy trying to get ready, rush, and get out of the house so that I could beat traffic and be here at 9 o'clock in the morning. I was selfish. My daughter had a game that day. And she just, she was like, why didn't you make me breakfast of all the days this was the day? And in my mind, and, and, and maybe this is because... I, I don't know, but in my mind, I thought, well, you're 16 almost. You can make your own breakfast. <laughs> I know that sounds bad, but I'm just in my mind, okay? I didn't say it. But I was thinking one day, one day I didn't do it. One day I, I couldn't. One day I, I, sh I could have woken up earlier, but I didn't want to. I could have prepared something the night before. I was selfish. I didn't, in, in essence, this day, I didn't pour myself out for my children, and it had a huge effect. Imagine every single day Jesus had to for, forsake his own life so that he would be then able to lay it down on the cross. Come on, I know you guys are selfish sometimes, even if you have kids. Okay? Sometimes my kids will say, you're not my dad. Not, not when we're arguing, but honey, they, they say it jokingly because I'll say, I'm not your dad, you know, back to them. Like, take me here. I'm not, I'm not your dad, <laughs> you know? But the idea behind it is I live my life emptying it out for them. I've chosen to love those kids, and I'm not perfect, and I know how hard it is from being a single guy doing whatever I wanted to, whenever I wanted to, to now I have an immense responsibility on my shoulders. And I do it gladly 
Jesus does that every single day for each one of us. I don't do it very well. I just showed you that I don't do it very well. But Jesus does that for you every single day of the 33 years of his life. I mean, can you, can you grasp that? Can you understand that what you do for your kids every day, Jesus did for an entire, for an entire world for all eternity? And so this morning, I just I want to continue to challenge you. When Jesus talks about the cross, it's not your husband or wife. That's not your cross to bear. It's that Jesus is giving you a path, a cup that you must walk down. And your cross will lead you to your daily death of yourself. You will die to your selfish ambitions. You will die to everything you want to do because you want to serve the one God who gave everything for you. The cross you bear are not the bad things in your life. The cross you bear is what God has called you to do. And if God was there for Jesus at the most difficult time, God will be there for you. You cannot be distracted by all the other things in your life. You cannot be distracted by, by all the noise in your life. You must keep walking down that path. And in essence, we are all walking to our own Golgotha. We may not die the way Jesus does, but we can learn a thing about surrendering our life to God every single day. And if we can do that, God will honor that, and God will work amazing things in each one of our lives for his glory and for his purpose. Your life is not about your will. And I struggle with this daily, okay? It's not about what you want out of it. It's what will give glory and honor to God always. Jesus does that. And God honors Jesus by giving him his life back. You may think that you're sacrificing a lot by giving up your selfish wants and desires. But God will vindicate you and give you even more than your heart desires. I'm going to share a prayer now. And then we're going to have a song. And then we're going to have a short video clip to help prepare us for resurrection. To help prepare us for resurrection weekend and resurrection Sunday. And so I just pray that as you listen to the song and as you watch the video. That you would be open to the spirit leading in you. Let us pray, and then, and then I'm going to invite my friends to come up. Dear Heavenly Father, we are, we are continually reminded of your sacrifice. And so, God, we just pray that as in Gethsemane and as in his entire life, that just like Jesus, that we would surrender ourselves to you. God, we know it's the only way. We know it's the best way to live, and it's so difficult for us. But I pray that you would give each one of us the strength to walk faithfully behind you every day and that as a church to be a faithful community that we would draw all the attention to you that you would save many in the name of Jesus we pray amen